Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. The Advertising Show is being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show is a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. Normally, we have Jeremy Kent as a very special part of every show that we do here at The Advertising Show. And today, we have Jeremy live. Why? It's a little thing going on over there called the Olympics. We have the opportunity to get some firsthand information and insight from Jeremy. This will this will be a great show. I know you're going to enjoy it as you do uh, all of the advertising shows here with Rachel and Ted Forsyth. Brad, how are you doing, man? Doing wonderful. And by the way, I guess we want to remind our audience that uh, as we record this, we're, what, eight, nine days out uh, from the opening of the Olympics. And so if you uh, hear us talking about something that, that has changed since we recorded this, then just you know, Ignore understand it. that. And yeah. as you know, uh, I'm a huge fan of Jeremy Kent beyond his contribution to the show. We've had him on uh, several months ago talking about the ins and outs of uh, British and, and European marketing and branding. So I'm looking forward to some insights of our guy on the ground there in London and uh, hearing what it's all about as we get closer to opening night, which I guess is what, Ray, Friday the 27th. This is yeah Friday the twenty uh, seventh through August uh, the twelfth is the uh, the three week extravaganza also known as the Olympics and and I think it's this is even better than having Meredith Vieira there if you know what I'm saying well it is and you know Jeremy uh, five point three million expected for the Olympics it'll be interesting to see if they exceed that we got a lot to cover I mean over here uh, in the U S we're hearing all about issues of security and the weather and so forth. We'll cover yeah. all those with, uh, with Jeremy momentarily. We're, we're also big fans, Ray, of, of Katie Couric. We've talked about her often here on the show, former mm-hmm. Today Show co-host, of course, and CBS Evening News anchor. Uh, and she's about to embark on a third career, no, no secret to most. Uh, September 10th is her debut of her syndicated talk show, aptly named Katie, but what's interesting, Ray, is... You wonder who came up with that, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Didn't spend a lot of time on that name. The following day, on September 11th, she will be releasing uh, a... uh, I'm sorry, she'll be participating as a columnist in the October issue on a regular basis, but debuting in the October issue of Women's Day magazine. Wow. Uh, and, And what I found interesting about this is that, you know, when you think about it, syndicated TV talk show, magazine combo reminds me of Oprah. Yeah. Now, of course, she doesn't own the magazine. She's just a contributor. But sure. it'll be, you know, it'd be, I don't know that it's uh, far-reaching to think that maybe Katie or her business people around her said, hey, you know, you got a syndicated show. Why not get some magazine presents? And before you know it, I'm thinking maybe uh, – Maybe watch uh, Katie will own her own network and take her entire career down the drain. <laughs> well, you have like Oprah. <laughs> you have to say that she was on top of the game for quite a while, though. And, she was, and she has more money than both you and I and everybody we know combined. So I'm okay with that. You know what I'm saying? You well, know, and you, and you know, who, what do you think of her replacement on CBS Evening News? Um, I uh, weak, uh, okay, nothing special. It's like okay, and, here's another head. 
And while we're talking about CBS, I yeah. have been sampling the morning show, and I'm encouraged. I think it's better than what they had before. Uh, Scott Pelley, by the way, was the is the current anchor of CBS Evening exactly, News. Yeah. But I'm but I think that what they're doing on the CBS morning show is better than what they were doing. And recently, I just went back to it after several weeks of being off viewing, and they now have a real person doing these interstitial for the lack of a better term, uh, interviews with some of their guests before they would have like no. what appeared to be an intern that had bad mic technique, <laughs> didn't understand how to put a mic in front of like her, speaking off mic. Did you, did you see that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it was embarrassing. But it now really they've was. got a real journalist doing those interviews. And I think all in all, the, uh, what do you think? I think it's an improvement over what they were Absolutely, doing. Absolutely, it is. And I, speaking of embarrassing, let's talk about NBC and the embarrassing departure of uh, Ann Curry. It's like, oh, my oh, God. My goodness. That was the most, that was the weirdest, most uncomfortable, awful moment on television. It's like, oh, come on. What are you guys doing? Uh, yeah. Why, you know, why, this could have been done a lot better. Uh, maybe pig vomit, uh, made that, uh, made that move. I'm not sure, but whatever happened with poor Anne, it's like, dear God, you're sacrificing this lady on live television. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was, it was him. I felt bad for everybody. I felt bad for Matt Lauer. I felt bad for NBC. I, I, I just, I couldn't believe I was actually watching something like this take place on live television. And you know, with the Olympics, they're, obviously they're going to do okay. Uh, they're going to be fine. You know, they'll be back uh, back in the swing of things, so to speak, at least for a while, I guess. Huh? Well, knee-jerk reaction to ABC, Good Morning America's, uh, you know, nick on their, on their ratings and overtaking the Today Show on a few occasions. And the Today Show scurried around and decided, you know, to put... Let's whack in. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was terribly handled. You're correct. And I just can't get – I mean, that's just, I guess, life in the rating games and network television these days, I well, suppose. Just, be, just because they're the big uh, the big guys doesn't mean they make uh, some bad decisions sometime. But uh, right. I, I was quite embarrassed for everybody. And I hope Ann bounces back because she was good. And, you know, what we don't see on television is the uh, politics behind the closed doors. Uh, there's probably a lot of that going on as well. So yep. maybe it's quite possible there was a love-hate relationship between her and Matt, and it was like either she goes, she goes or I go. And well, they say they got along. I mean, it was... I know they say they did, but, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying that maybe that's not true. Oh, I see. Maybe there's something behind the scenes. Hey, yeah. I found something interesting uh, here uh, from the Associated Press about the Olympics. It says, uh, lines are getting longer at the ATMs. Uh, basically, uh, cash in the British capital is going to be... An issue of British prices, some befuddled tourists wondering what to use as far as currency goes. Uh, stores, the Olympic Park, only accepting certain, certain credit cards, which is not unusual. A British financial authority even recommending the tourists make sure they bring British pounds with them as opposed to euros. And they, they said, uh, basically, uh, Alex Singer, who is a London cab driver, uh, he said he's had people whether they should pay in British pounds or euros. He said, I've also had Americans thinking they can pay me in dollars, <laughs> which is interesting. So, you know, I think Americans, and, and we'll get Jeremy to weigh in on this, Americans live such an insulated life and, and they think that 
uh, Great Britain as part of the euro, and they weren't and did not become part of the euro. They decided to keep their own currency, and I think smartly so, uh, looking at where that we are today with the eurozone. But, uh, you know, to go over there with euros and try to hand, you know, someone retail in London a euro, uh, it'll be interesting to hear Jeremy's comment. Maybe that's something that's commonplace over there. It says also uh, during the Diamond Jubilee celebration in June to honor Queen Elizabeth, uh, the 60 year reign, the uh, dozens of ATMs ran out of cash. Uh, hundreds of thousands were there, uh, basically, uh, to see all of the celebration and such. Some bars and restaurants even had to hold on to driver's licenses and other IDs as collateral to people so people could return the next day and pay their bills. And what they're suggesting, it's a million extra visitors here for the event, uh, the Olympics, and uh, let's see, an estimated 49 billion pounds, 77 billion of uh, U.S. dollars in circulation across the United, uh, United Kingdom, 1,700 cash machines near Olympic venues, and uh, they said that we've been working to make sure there is enough cash to meet the demand. I certainly would hope that would be a... a so you're saying out. a million new visitors to the ATMs, million new people interacting with ATMs. Uh, well, obviously so. They've got to, they've got to find cash. They've got to you know, yeah. make transactions. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. Well, you know, and that's a good problem to have. Uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> running out. You of know, cash. with the with the decline, and I don't know, I don't monitor the eurozone, but you know, thinking about it. If the eurozone declines a bit, whoever purchased their euros in the U.S. and then they return to the U.S. in three weeks, that could be a money loser. Ah, okay. Interesting perspective. <laughs> I haven't thought about that. <laughs> I'm going to preface bringing Jeremy on the air. Jeremy Kent, our European correspondent, was a regular feature on the show. We love Jeremy. Uh, today we've got him live from London, uh, right off the golf course, as a matter of fact, where he lost just a whole bunch of money, uh, euros, or actually pounds, I guess it would be. In ancient Greece, it says here, according to The Economist, it was impossible to stitch a sponsor's logo onto an Olympic athlete's shorts because... They weren't wearing any. <laughs> In today's London, it's still impossible, though. <laughs> Clothing is allowed now and recommended. So uh, basically no adverts allowed in the stadium, no logos emblazoned on the athletes' whatevers. Uh, <laughs> maybe a tattoo would work. I don't know. We're going to come back in just a moment and talk with Jeremy Kent. The London Olympics. Well, coming to town in Jeremy's town, that is. We'll talk with Jeremy in just a moment here on The Advertising Show. Welcome back to the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. And we're going to talk Olympics today. London Olympics. This has got to be a great time uh, to be in London. Jeremy Kent is there and is going to give us some great insight into what's going on. Jeremy, how neat to talk to you in person as via an MP3, if you know what I'm saying. Hi, it's great to be here. How are you, mate? <laughs> Very good. Thanks, you. You know, Jeremy, Ray touched upon the uh, advertising blackout a little bit. Talk a little uh, about what's going on with the advertising blackout there at the Olympics. Uh, I've, I've never seen it police so hard as they are at, uh, at London 2012. And they've, they've apparently got 300 people just to walk around going the, at the Olympic venues to make sure that there's no ambush marketing or if there's a logo that's too big, it's covered up. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's really, really tightly policed here. Hmm. So, uh, you know, you call it ambush marketing. I, I get that. Have you heard or anticipate any uh, guerrilla marketing efforts? Of course, to do that, you can do it on the streets of, of London. Do they normally 
police that kind of thing? If you've been to New York City, you know the role of guerrilla marketing there. How is it in London? Are you expecting much for the Olympics? I can't think of a, a senior brand doing it, no. Uh, the the organizers, LOCOG, have been so ruthlessly efficient, and they've effectively said, uh, we, we're taking m- most of London. We've got the Olympic Park in the, the east side of London, but they've got rowing and um, cycling and the marathons running all through the, the city. So you can't actually advertise anywhere down those routes unless you're an Olympic sponsor. So that even the 48-sheet posters are all blacked out unless they've been bought by a sponsor. Well, I think our, our audience, I certainly find that very odd. I mean, I can't imagine, mm-hmm. Ray, they uh, having an Olympic event at any major venue, major market here in the U.S. and and blacking out billboards. Could you? No, not really. Not at all. That's that's very strange, Jeremy. Why uh, did the business community get up in arms about this, or did they just go along with it? I, I don't think they had a choice. Uh, it, it, it's not only been put into to practice with LOCOG, but the government support's been so tight, and nobody that's an established brand wants to be accused of, of ambush marketing, so they've backed away from it. But yeah, all those media owners have had a choice. If they're along one of the Olympic event routes, then they either carry uh, a logo, an ad, or, or whatever from a recognized sponsor, or there's nothing up there at all. Wow. Uh, it, it's mm. Every billboard, every bus stop, everywhere where normally you'd see advertising. And yeah, it's like New York or any American city, you know, mm-hmm. capitalist Western city. Uh, if there's an opportunity to, to slap an ad out there, we've got it. But... Yeah. Not while the Olympics are on. You know, it's funny talking about policing events and such like that. Just recently, about a week or so, Paul McCartney and uh, Bruce Springsteen were playing at a venue there. And uh, they decided that at the time the permit was up that they would go ahead and turn off the sound during a Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen. And what they're suggesting is the the, the government overreacted a little bit. Uh, I mean, how could you possibly unplug Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen in the middle of a song? Well, that, yeah. That, that one wasn't actually the government. You're quite right. There's a local license from the council. Oh, council, okay. And uh, I think they'd gone over by half an hour. Okay. But but even the mayor complained about them pulling the plug on those guys. It's like, how so they do that? It, it, it's, it's one of those daft laws that the organizers decided they'd better comply with it. Yeah. But what's the difference between half an hour and 45 minutes? <laughs> Not much. You know, you know, the way the media handled that over here, it was as if the clock struck 10 yeah. p.m. and they pulled the plug at that time. It was not uh, disclosed that they had already gone 30 minutes over. Is that the way it was that's, handled? That's you know that for a fact, Jeremy? Yeah, yeah, they'd gone over 30 minutes, but it still wasn't late. You know, <laughs> I yeah, come out right. of the office some nights when you're working late in the pitch. You know, when you leave at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, and the center of London is still heaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're talking about pulling the plug here while some people are still eating their dinner. <laughs> Not a good thing. Uh, we got to laugh at that, though. That was kind of kind of kind of. Crap. You know, speaking of how media handles things here in the U.S., they're all over the issue of security at the games this year and hyping hyping that. Uh, before we talk about, in particular, the surface-to-air missiles, which have been installed there at certain rooftops of apartment buildings, give us just a general lay of the land on security, how it's being handled there. What's your sense of it? Uh, the, the, it is a little bit uh, a little bit of overkill. Uh, 
surface-to-air missiles on the top of apartment blocks. You know, is that for real or is that for show? Oh, my. Yes, we do have a terrorist problem like you guys do with the same people. Um, but it, it, it all seems to be a bit of a mess for two reasons. The first one is that there's a private contractor called G4S. Now, those guys used to be known as Group 4 Security, but they had so many PR disasters transporting prisoners from one prison to another, and they'd get out halfway, that they changed their name a few years ago to G4S. Hmm. And on this occasion, they were contracted to supply 10,000 security staff to the Olympics, and they've managed to rock up with 6,500, they think. So we've drafted in 3,500 soldiers, and the question's got to be, well, why wasn't the military given the job anyway? Yeah. But I'm talking... Yeah, that would make sense. We know the guys. We trust them. <laughs> They're you on think our so? Side. Yeah, I'm thinking so, yeah. But you have, what you have to understand at the moment is G, G4, when they were Group 4, they were given the contract to guard military barracks. So we were in this unusual situation where we sent unarmed civilians to guard our military. Uh, you couldn't write this stuff. You really couldn't. Hmm. So. Hmm. That's what we've got at the Olympics. But then we have the Home Office, which is a bit like your State Department. And, uh, and at some point, you've got the Metropolitan Police involved as well. So, you know, if they'd just given it to the military or the police to start with, had one command and control centre and done it, but instead you've got several layers of security, probably too much security, hmm. and, uh, and no clear command and control. But it's going to be safe, as safe as it could be. So is there any uh, advertising on the surface-to-air missiles? I guess not, huh? <laughs> I haven't seen it, no. <laughs> <laughs> hope, hope not to see it either, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, there's a big no-fly zone, as you can imagine. And oh, they've yeah. even parked up a helicopter carrier on the River Thames, so there's a, a big Royal Navy presence with enough firepower to invade a small country. Wow. It must be a nervous place to live in East London right Jeez, now. Yeah. Don't make the we, wrong move. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, and, and as I read about the, uh, speaking of the uh, surface-to-air missiles, I understand that local residents are all upset about this, and in America, I believe that most would be pleased with the added security. Why the upset? There's a, one, one apartment block is actually suing... Uh, actually, I'm not sure who they're suing, whether they're suing the Ministry of Defence or the local council for citing uh, ground-to-air missiles on their rooftop. But they're upset about it because they think it'll make them more of a target for terrorists than if the, the missiles weren't there. Uh, I'm not quite sure of the logic. I would have thought if you're a terrorist, you want to make a big splash and take out a stadium and, and lots of people rather than an apartment block in the east end of London. But there we go. You would think so. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Ray, uh, one final question before we wrap up this uh, segment. Sure. Uh, so you and the children and the wife, Jeremy, you'll be attending the opening ceremonies? No, I wish we were, uh, but we, we weren't successful in the ballot for those. And uh, the, the kids weren't that interested in the beach volleyball, the women's beach volleyball. My lawyer's going to that one, but, uh, but we're not. <laughs> Okay. You'll be watching it on, on, on television, I'm sure. That Absolutely. Be exactly right. Jeremy Ken is our special guest here at the Advertising Show, a live show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe. And we're talking Olympics today with, uh, with Jeremy, who is in London. We've got lots more to go and lots more to come your way here at the Advertising Show. Stay right here.
You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Hey, Columbus, we can't turn back without an order from you. I'm not talking while the flavor lasts. What are you chewing? Peach nut On The Advertising Show, we are talking specifically Olympics today with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. So happy you are to, to be, uh, happy we are, that is, to have you listening to The Advertising Show. The British government's budget for the Games has uh, up to $9.3 billion. From the initial estimate of $2.4 billion, the International Olympic Committee has raised $4.87 billion in broadcast fees and sponsorship for the four-year cycle that includes not only the uh, London Summer Games that we're talking about now, but also uh, the Vancouver Winter Olympics and uh, the London Organizing Committee of the Olympic Paralympic Games as well. Uh, Eleven global sponsors, top uh, Olympic partners. Uh, Coca-Cola is one of those. I, at least I understand that it is. Jeremy, Kent, it is good to be talking to you today live from London. Thanks for joining us here on The Advertising Show. Happy to be here. Thanks. So, Jeremy, uh, just a sense of the British pride uh, across all of Great Britain, for that matter. Uh, what are, are people there, uh, you know, are they really getting behind the Olympics? Are they a bit jaded? Or what's your feel for that? I think there's a real mixture. Uh, there, there are those in the media and, and those that are really looking forward to it and into the Olympic spirit. Uh, there are those that are, are trying to pick anything apart, you know, the security issues and uh, traveling through Heathrow and the, the border control people there. Uh, so they're the two extremes. And then I, I can't remember who the journalist was, an American journalist, I think, writing in the New York Times, who said that London's going to be rather like an aged father, when the children are running around in his house, you kind of tolerate it, but you're quite happy for them to go away again. <laughs> so I think that whole spectrum covers uh, covers everyone in London. I think most people are sitting in that aged father bit. How am I going to get to work when all this is going on? Yeah, really. Hmm. And and when you think of Great Britain, uh, I'm curious, of course, right there in London, uh, I'm sure that everyone, you know, can hardly uh, avoid all the exposure. But along the same lines, the Irish, the Scots, are they all behind this as well? Are they a bit removed from it since they are a removed uh, island of of, uh, Britain? Uh, Well, I wouldn't have thought the Irish are thinking that much about it, uh, just because they're a different country completely. Maybe Northern Ireland's a bit more involved, and certainly the... uh the Olympic torch did go over there, and I think actually it did go into to Southern Ireland too, but I might be wrong on that. Uh, can't speak for the Scots. They're, they're going through their uh, consultation period now for, for independence, and they may well be an independent country in a, a few years' time. Uh, but certainly the rest of the UK is behind it, and they've spread the events out as well. So it's not all just in London. They've, they've pushed it out so that the rowing's on near uh, Eton and Henley, and then the the sailings down near Weymouth on the south south coast. So they've they've done their best to be as inclusive as possible. And it is London 2012, but it's more like England 2012. Wow. Mm. And, you know, uh, Ray was talking about during the opening segment uh, regarding the euro and confusion over the the use of the euro there in, in London for the Games. Are you hearing anything about that? Is that just some, excuse the term here, stupid Americans that are a bit unaware of the currency exchange in London? What do you, what's your take on that? 
Uh, well, I've not heard it, no, but I wouldn't be surprised if if the old American tried to pay in dollars uh, or somebody else tried to pay in a euro, but it, it would be exactly the same result as rocking up in New York and trying to pay in pounds sterling. You know, they're going to look at you kind of funny and say, no. Hey, man, how many pesos is that, huh? <laughs> so it, it, it's pounds, and, and, and that's it. Uh, so, no, I've not heard of that, but I would imagine it does go on. Your, your offices are in Soho. Uh, are you seeing... A lot of tourism, a lot of increase of tourists there as you go to your office. Are you seeing long lines out in front of the ATMs? No, I've not seen any long lines in front of the ATMs other than the usual straight after work and lunchtime when everybody's going to get their cash. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, nothing unusual, although I did notice just traveling around on the tube yesterday more than, uh, more than before the, the tourist season was, was definitely on. So there were lots of kids on the trains middle of the day and, and rush hour time. Uh, a lot of Europeans in, so you know, Italian, French, Spanish speaking. But that happens every summer anyway. And I, I, I wouldn't say it looked any busier for the Olympics than it did last summer with, uh, with the usual tourists in and on board. Hmm. Everybody says we're going to get make visitors, but... I haven't seen it, can't feel it. It might be there, but maybe a million Londoners left while it was on. So <laughs> it just feels much the same. Okay. So uh, transport, always a major issue in London, just as it is in New York City. No impact there? Uh, the transport's a, a nightmare anyway. I mean, a small failing on one of the tube lines, this and, that, and the instant calculation that Londoners go through and think, well, I can't take the central line, I'll take the Bakerloo and this, that and that. It, it's always the first thing on anybody's mind is transport in, in London. And one of the problems we've got road-wise is that the Olympics have got special Olympic lanes for while the games are on. But these lanes only come in at certain hours of the day and only on certain days. So there's a lot of confusion around those. So the first thing you've got is if you drive in the lane, then you've got £130 fine. So what's that, a $200 fine? And there's cameras all over the place to get you, and they'll get you. Wow. Then if you try and drag yourself back into the lane you should be in, you're causing back traffic problems as well. So we had something silly like a 10-mile tailback on a motorway for a lane that was carrying a few buses of athletes from Heathrow into London. But massive tailback. And if you can imagine that transport is on everybody's mind all the time, how tense it is, you know, all those millions of people trying to get into work, and wow. you've just taken away a third of their roads, they're not going to be happy. I'm sorry, go ahead, Jeremy. No, so they're, they're not happy, and, and I'm certainly not happy trying to get in and out of work with that problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I think everybody else should get off the road. You certainly shouldn't have a big lane for the Olympics. <laughs> really. And do you, you, you take the tube, you don't, you, or you drive that big, bad Beamer into work? <laughs> I mix it up. I do, I do drive in an awful lot, but if I have to go to the other side of London, then I do take the train in. Uh, but either way, it's, uh, transport's a pain. It really is a pain. It just gets harder. You know, the Olympic traffic lanes sound initially like such a great idea, uh, and as you describe it, uh, I certainly would be pissed off sitting in traffic, losing one additional lane for a couple buses going down the road. I saw on the news, uh, maybe you did as well, Ray, just, I believe, yesterday about the taxi cab drivers there all uh, up in arms about the, the traffic lane, the Olympic traffic lane, and they were all uh, protesting by way of either parking their car in the lane or near the lane? I, I don't recall exactly what. Can you bring us up to date on that? 
I haven't seen that one on the taxis, but it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it really wouldn't surprise me that they've done it. Uh, we've had all sorts of things with transport. So the bus drivers go on strike unless they got a bonus for running through the Olympics. Now, anybody else would say, well, you're driving the bus anyway. What's the difference? So they're complaining that there's going to be more people on the bus. Right. Go figure. So they're on for the best part of a $1,500 bonus for doing their job. <laughs> um, then the train guys were threatening to go on strike, saying the same thing. They wanted a bonus for this and the other. So a lot of the public sector, and uh, by that I mean uh, employed by uh, what you would call the state, uh, a lot of those those workers have, uh, have thrown the strike card in, including the board of people at Heathrow, who haven't got the best reputation anyway, oh, really? because they're going to have to do more work. <laughs> Really? Hmm. So, when you say border people, you're talking like TSA or something like that, right? Or? I'm not sure what the, the, the TSA is, but when you come into immigration at Heathrow, the guys on the border there who check your passport and make yeah. sure that you're a decent bloke and yeah. you can come in. Immigration, yeah. Immigration, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's, that's similar, I guess. Yeah. And I guess all it sounds like all of those government workers are taking a chapter out of the uh, fine folks over there in Greece. <laughs> <laughs> it's not far off. It really isn't far off. Uh, but getting paid an extra extra thousand pounds for driving your bus is uh, is unbelievable. You're going to be doing it anyway. Right. One final question, and then we'll cover more of this next segment. Uh, you're the eyes and the ears for us here in the U.S. about what's going on over there uh, with the Olympics about to start a week, week, ten days, uh, eight days, I guess, as we record this off from opening ceremonies. Are there any sponsors that are more local or regional that an American audience wouldn't be familiar with, or are they all global brands? Uh, yeah, there are various tiers of sponsors. So you've got the Coca-Colas and the Omegas, the McDonald's, Panasonic's, Beezers, and so on, who are the worldwide Olympic partners. And then you've got the ones who are uh, just in it for this particular Games. Um, brands you'll know, British Airways, BMW, Adidas, or Adidas, as you guys say. Yeah, I've been uh, trying BT. to change that, by the way. I, I, every time I have the opportunity, I saw, say, Adidas. So you know, we're working on that, okay? One <laughs> of those nuances. I'm sure the Germans get it right, and we're both wrong. Uh, <laughs> uh, BT, Lloyds. Yeah, and then, then it drops down in another tier. So you've got um, uh, Olympic supporters, as they call them. And again, a few names you'd, you'd probably recognize, like Cadbury and UPS, Adeco. And it just keeps dropping down into providers and suppliers. One of the newspapers today was running a few articles about um, the protection that LOCOG has given to sponsors and partners. So that if you're a company that's worked on the Olympics, you can't even say that in a press release unless you're also an official partner or sponsor. Really? Hmm. Wow. That's how tight they're policing it. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like the NFL and the Super Bowl to uh, what we deal with regularly over here once a year. That's true. Uh, as you were describing those second, third tier uh, sponsors, if you will, uh, so th is it typical where as your second and third tier sponsors, the logo gets smaller, the visibility uh, as far as associating that company with the Olympics is less impactful? I'm sure that there's some uh, regulation on that. I haven't seen it. Uh, but also, uh, I haven't really seen a great deal of people supporting their brand in what they're doing. BMW have been pushing it on TV commercials. BP have certainly been doing it. But I haven't seen a great deal from some of the major sponsors like McDonald's and Coca-Cola. I'm sure they are, but it's just not been uh, that prevalent 
that I've seen it. Maybe I'm just the wrong demographic and they've aimed all their media elsewhere. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But certainly BMW have pushed it hard, although I read in one of the marketing press uh, yesterday, I think it was, that BMW have decided that they probably won't follow up their their investment with sponsoring the Rio games in four years' time. So you've got to wonder, when you're spending hundreds of millions on the Olympics, whether you actually do get your money back or whether it's more like a charitable donation. It is London 2012, and our very special guest from London is Jeremy Kent, our European correspondent here at the Advertising Show. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment. Welcome back. This is the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. They're talking 2012 London and the Olympics here with our very special guest, Jeremy Kent, who also happens to be our European correspondent on the advertising show. Long time. Uh, most top-level sponsors like McDonald's, Omega, Panasonic, P&G are not trying to prove their prowess. They are just trying to look noble and global by the association in the way that wows and woos customers. I, I, I wanted to mention this, guys, uh, before we got back into conversation. Uh, G4S, you were talking about that before, Jeremy. Uh, the, there is a risk if you mess up and you do it publicly. G4S, a British-based security firm hoping that handling security for the games, which at two sponsors, uh, though not at the top level like McDonald's, would gild its reputation. Their slogan was, if we can do it for the Olympics, we can do it for you, according to the G4S's director of events. Shortly afterward, the firm discovered that it couldn't do it for the Olympics because they failed to train enough people. Uh, so apparently they had to go hire some folks, I guess, on the side. Guys who used to work for Best Buy or Ikea. I'm not sure. But uh, no, I'm, I'm sure you guys are in good shape. But anyway, Jeremy, good to have you here live on the advertising show. Welcome back. Thank you. And Ray, I think G4S is an infinity model, isn't it? it, it either that or a Lexus. I'm not sure. Yes, I think yeah. you're exactly yeah. right. <laughs> so, Jeremy, tell us, uh, you have a pulse on what's going on, media, marketing, branding, advertising, et cetera, with the uh, London Games. Uh, what role do you feel social media has played in London 2012 and in Europe in general as we lead up to the kickoff of the Olympics? In terms of uh, social media, just with the public chatting and talking? Well, both really... chatting and talking, and if, there's any, uh, if there are any uh, major global brands that are connected into the Olympics through sponsorship that are utilizing social media to uh, better their visibility and uh, you know, leverage their relationship with the Olympics through other channels. I haven't seen too much of uh, of definite brand work going on, other than one would normally expect to see. Uh, but certainly, there's a buzz coming in through the the wider mu- uh, wide, wider channels and the wider public, and and those brands that are involved will be will be supporting their regular campaigns. Uh, but it's been very subtle. It, it's and it seems to be working well. The the only scandals out there are the the ones that you, we've already touched on with G4S and the security, uh, but. I think most of the angst is also being still aimed at the banks over here right now because uh, they've been caught doing naughty things again. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So the the social media side for the Olympics seems to be very positive. I've not seen anything uh, negative up there at all other than the stuff around G4S, but that tends to be more journalists and uh, news hounds talking about that. The games themselves seem to be going down well. I hope that goes continues that way, right? Yeah. 
You know, and I would assume the social media just from a ch- chatting up the games is no different than it would be here in the U.S. just in terms of maybe an uptick of of the conversation taking place on social media. But other than that, no big deal, huh? Uh, yeah, there is a, a, a general uptake in, in social media. Obviously, as the, the, the games comes online, we, we've seen more comments, but it tends to be the general public talking about it, the journalists talking about it. I've not seen any overt branded work other than those that are already supporting campaigns and uh, are beginning to, to generate a little bit of information around what they're doing with the games. Uh, I think, yeah, it, there's, a, there's a general uptake in social media and a general uptake in chatter, but it's been no more than we've seen for the Grand Prix two, three weeks ago for the, the Open Championship in golf that's on right now at the same time. So there's lots of things going on. It's, it's a busy summer, and, uh, and the Olympics just seems to be falling into place in its scheduled slot through the summer. It, it doesn't feel that special just yet. Well, not wanting to take the role of Mr. Negative, as some of your media is there on uh, the Olympics, but I must uh, ask you, have there been any missteps made by brands who are involved at this year's Olympics that you know of? No, I haven't seen any at all. Uh, I think certainly with the clients that we've got who aren't Olympic sponsors, they've been very good at uh, honouring all the blackouts and the agreements and not wanting to put a foot wrong. And I think those that are involved with the sport have also been uh, very positive too. And it, it's been real brand building rather than below the line sales driven. So it's, it's been very gentle campaigns, very positive. I've not seen any negatives out there other than the ones we've seen with um, with transport and security, which isn't really a marketing issue for us. It would be a big marketing issue for G4S, but certainly the major sponsors, no, it's been, it's been good stuff. You know, uh, you once lived in the U.S., worked in uh, New York City in the advertising business. I'm, I'm hoping you'll be able to give us some insight to this question, Jeremy. Uh, I'm curious if the European... European media in general cover the Olympics uh, over there in London differently than here in the U.S.? Yes and no is the answer. They cover it with as much passion and as much exposure as the U.S. does. The difference I've tended to notice, and I can't speak for uh, my European colleagues here, but perhaps the the way that we divide English between uh, our country and yours is that American sports journalists are fascinated by numbers. So that if you read a piece of editorial from a, an English sports person, they might start with, there was a great roar of the crowd and this, that, and the other, whereas an American journalist tends to talk about a 2-0 shutout and you get a whole string of numerical stats as to one side or what one athlete's done. It's, it's numbers, 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 whereas it tends to be a lot more uh, scene-setting from English journalists, or British journalists, I should say. That's interesting. I, I, uh, I could sense that as you were describing it, that we here in America tend to uh, like to uh, hear about numbers and so forth, and yet the uh, British, and certainly the literary history of the, of the British and Europeans in general would suggest more of a, uh, I don't know, a, a literary <laughs> approach to journalism when it comes to this kind of subject matter. Let's talk for a second about media consumption there in Europe. I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, 
Ray and Ray probably knows this. NBC has announced that they're going to do something very unusual, and it's pretty bit of a pretty much of a test. Uh, NBC being the flagship network for the Olympics here in the U.S., uh, and they're going to offer live uh, through the internet uh, actual uh, streaming of various events, and their thought process is is that if you're willing to get up at some ungodly hour or or tune into a, a particular streaming at a particular time, that this will not. Uh, erode their audience during their rebroadcast later that evening during prime time that it will actually create buzz, uh, internet buzz, online buzz, and that it will swell the audience interest in actually uh, visiting uh, various programs and various events during prime time, even though they're not live. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. With regard mm-hmm. to just general media consumption of Europeans for the Olympics versus uh, here in the U.S. Uh, is it a, as big of a deal over there as it is here? Yeah, every bit. Every bit as big. So the, the channels that have bought into it, and it's the BBC, obviously, for, for us here, but whoever's bought into it across um, across Europe will, will be very focused on the Games. And, and they have been, as too, when the Games were uh, in other countries, the last Winter Olympics up in Canada, you know, Eurosport was covering every event live, even with the time difference. You get the same thing with, with streaming online. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely huge. So um, they've already because, done the streaming uh, test, or te- I say test. They've done streaming live for Olympics uh, in Europe before? I'm not, I'm not aware of that. They may have done, may not have done, but they've certainly done it for other sporting events. And mm-hmm. when there's a time difference involved, I've seen people... Uh, on Twitter, people I know that are in the UK who are trying to watch a rugby match live, but they're out of the country and they're asking for who's got a stream on it, which website can they go to to get it. So uh, I think that's fairly well embedded with, with tech-savvy people. And certainly when I watch my kids, I've got two teenage boys, uh, they consume media on their iPads and their Mac much more than they do on TV these days. Yeah, uh, They're on all you the know- time and they're, they're taking the, the stream that they want. So, yeah, I'd imagine there's not a great deal of difference between what you see in the United States and and what's happening in Europe. Well, this will be a test, as I mentioned, first time ever uh, here uh, as far as the Olympics and uh, and a network broadcasting streaming live through the Internet, through their Internet website uh, for that uh, express purpose. And frankly, Ray, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I thought NBC was brilliant in doing this. They're calling it a test. They're... They're tenuous about the re, you know anticipated results. I think it's it's a great idea, and I think they'll see wonderful results. Oh yeah, absolutely agreed. So, a couple of final questions here as we wrap up today's show. Uh, do you feel that London, the the London brand, if you will, will fare well after all is said and done this year? On the whole, I would say yes, and everybody, politicians, the wider media have been pushing the London brand up and this is going to be great not just for London but for England and so on and, and talking it up. But then the, f- the problems we've had with, um, with the security, with G4S, let's get this right, it's not a problem with security. Security's nailed, the military have got it. Yeah. Uh, the problems we had with G4S, uh, that's going to bat about because it's become a political football. So there'll be a lot of media coverage of that and that's a negative distraction which we could really do without so 
if we didn't have that, if that wasn't detracting from the games, then I'd say, yeah, it's going to be very, very positive, and it remains to be seen how big a deal that negative news is going to be in, um, in balancing things out. It's the Olympics. It's going to be forgotten. That's what's great about the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, one final question. Uh, when we watch Wimbledon over here, we expect rain delays. That's what happens uh, in your country. But, it, <laughs> but as we get on into summer, we've always heard that if you're going to visit Snow uh, delays. jolly old yeah. London, yeah. you do it, uh, you know, more in July and August. Yet your weather over there has received a lot of attention. And I don't mean favorable. Uh, what are your th- what are your thoughts on maybe a bit of negativity associated with weather? I know you told us before you went on the show today that you've have beautiful weather today. Is do you think do you anticipate any you know in the same way that a lot of Americans think they can come over there and use the euro? You think a lot of Americans are going to be watching uh, the Olympics and have been uh, understanding that you guys have had some ungodly rainy weather there lately that they may come away with a uh, Hell no, I don't want to go to London anytime. It's either <laughs> snowing or raining there. <laughs> well, one American athlete did arrive, um, and after they'd finished complaining about the bus journey from Heathrow over to, to the east end of London, one of them said, have I arrived at the Winter Olympics? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but it, it has been unusual. This summer, this, this, in fact, March was gorgeous. And it set us all up with a a great expectation. The water companies even brought in hosepipe bands because the drought was so bad. We'd had three really good summers and dry winters and so on. It didn't feel like it, but apparently we had. And um, then somebody just turned the taps on from the 1st of April Hmm. to today. It has rained on me every day. And it's (laughs) it's been the wettest period in recorded history. And you can imagine our recorded history is quite long. It's been absolutely awful. It's not the usual. Yes, it could damage the PR side of things, but, yeah. Uh, They're saying that the forecast is going to be good for the Olympics, that it it should be better, but it has been the most awful spring and early summer that I've ever known, well, for over 300 years. Real real quickly, uh, Jeremy, are are they... Are there all open-air venues? I mean, obviously, certain yeah, events right, have right. to take place outside, but in terms of stadiums and so forth, are there retractable roofs on these uh, venues? What, what's going on with that? Well, you'd think they'd put reeds on it, but no, they haven't. Uh, <laughs> and the, the, bad news, the bad news, particularly for our lawyer, going back to our lawyer who's managed to get himself tickets to the women's beach volleyball final, is that because it's nice <laughs> and cold, they've told the girls they can cover up. So, <laughs> oh. it's, well, that, that certainly will be a turnoff. <laughs> the live streaming on NBC might switch off for that. What? Point, yeah. yeah. And by yeah. the way, if you mention uh, your fine barrister, do you get a discount on his hourly rate going forward? Well, I haven't mentioned his name because he's not offered a discount. Oh. Well, that's why I was opening the door for you. Well, then let's not give his number out then, okay? That's not either a good idea. Today's show is brought to you by... No. I don't think so. Hey, Jeremy, we feel like we're there, and I'm sure the rest of the world is uh, does as well. We uh, sincerely appreciate you sharing your insight and your perspective from right there in London, and, and thank you so much for joining us today here at The Advertising Show. Thank you. 
We are uh, Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Tell your friends to listen in. This is going to be one that's listened to by a lot of folks here at the Advertising Show. You know, Brad, here's uh, something else that I was uh, picked up. This is uh, from, uh, I guess, what is this called? The Economist, I guess. It says, uh, Visa's first Olympic campaign was brutal Having displaced American Express as the official payment card, uh, the ads crowd, uh, crowed, uh, at the 1988 Winter Olympics, they will honor speed, stamina, and skill, but not American Express. Hmm. It's recent Olympic ads, uh, what they're doing is conforming more closely, they say, to a generic feel-good norm. Uh, one uh, shows Nadia Comaneci, uh scoring a perfect 10, Morgan Freeman's soothing voice over encourages viewers to cheer for perfection. So that's kind of nice to see that, too, as well. You know, you you tell me, but I want this to go great. I want there to be no problems. I want America to take home a whole bunch of gold. But most importantly, on behalf of London and the folks in London and who represent, uh, you know, Europe and such, that I want I want it to be a great event for them, too, as well, uh, so that everybody wins here. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't agree more, and I anticipate that to be the case. Uh, I wouldn't see why it would not be the case. And, gosh, what a great interview with uh, Jeremy today. I feel yeah. like we've... Uh, we were there for the last 30, 40 minutes, so thank you again to Jeremy. Exactly. The Advertising Show. Hope you enjoyed today's live show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. It's powered by Shippel.com, S-C-H-I-P-U-L.com, and a platform called Tendency, uh, which is an incredibly strong marketing platform as well. Check it out at Shippel.com. Thanks again to Jeremy Kent, who you normally hear on the show, as our regular European correspondent. The Advertising Show is being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show, a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. We will talk to you again real soon. Why do more media professionals read IWantMedia.com? IWantMedia.com features reports from industry leaders and media personalities. IWantMedia.com gives you quick access to news, stats, trade orgs, and industry publications, and it's updated daily. Forbes says IWantMedia.com contains everything media professionals need to stay ahead of the game. The Washington Post calls it the source for the serious media geek. Do you get it? If you don't, you should. To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit IWantMedia.com.